Almighty God, thank you, Lord, that you have made this day. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made each one of us. You've taken us out of the dust of the earth and you formed us, formed us into the people we are. And, Lord, you have breathed into us that wonderful, immortal spirit. And, Lord God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, that you've brought us here today to this place and this time, that you've given us this time in, in relative peace and freedom at the moment, Lord, to be able to come together and worship you and to praise your name, to hear your word spoken about and to, to have it to touch our hearts. And, Lord, that we have fellowship with each other. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you that we can do it today. And let us not take this for granted, Lord, I pray. When we listen now, Lord, to the lessons from your word, I pray that you'll prepare every heart and mind here, Lord, to receive. And I pray that you would prepare me to help facilitate, Lord, this uh, transference of your, your word into the hearts of everyone else here, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to, before I start, there's uh, just by way of a, uh, a personal uh, announcement that um, last uh, Wednesday, the 5th of April, Maria and I uh, celebrated the 30th anniversary of our wedding. And uh, I'd just like to publicly thank God in front of you all for giving me such a, a woman as a wife. Uh, 30 years have been uh, just so uh, good to me and uh, Maria has been uh, just such a, a, a woman and a wife uh, that I never thought existed and uh, it was God had the, the right woman for me. She was born in Sicily, I was born here in Sydney and, uh, and I look often when I look at our baby pictures I think isn't it amazing God knew that he was going to bring us together all the way from Sicily, he brought her all the way over here and we met together at, in a job actually at work. And um, not only that, but Maria also witnessed to me about the truth of Jesus Christ as, as a, a, a risen saviour uh, and talked to, to me about him as being a, a real person, not an idea. And so I got uh, two great things on that day, about 30 years ago and, and a little bit longer than that as well. I got salvation through Jesus Christ by knowing him and I got a, a wife, uh, the best possible wife for me. Uh, also, and I, talking to a few other people here, I know there's at least two people I can think of who've gone through the same process of getting both a spouse and uh, salvation at the same time, and it's a wonderful gift. So, thank you to God for this wife of mine. I was going to look today at suffering, suffering particularly in the Christian life. And I feel fairly uh, confident in bringing this to you because uh, I, being a human being, uh, uh, am an expert in suffering. I've experienced it and I've seen it all around me all the days of my life. And suffering certainly comes in many different sort of ways to us. Uh, it's, it can be illness, for instance. Uh, it was only just a couple of uh, days ago, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, that I, uh, I had a, a bad back and I was uh, immobilised for about uh, well, three weeks. I could barely move and it just shows you how much 
we take for granted our mobility. We don't think about it when we're up and running and we're walking here, there and everywhere. But when it goes from you, you certainly realised how helpless and almost hopeless you are without that mobility. So we should think of people who have that immobility thrust upon them uh, all the time. Uh, can be loneliness is another way of suffering. Many people uh, are lonely, and of course it doesn't mean necessarily that they're by themselves. The old saying that you can you're lonely, lonely as people can be in a crowd is certainly true. There's crime, and I'm almost um, I'm fairly reticent these days to, to to read a newspaper or turn on the, the television or or listen to the radio news because it seems to be just filled with a litany of crimes of the most uh, often most brutal and callous type that we see around us. It's hard to imagine uh, that these things could happen. And uh, there's also poverty. There's another way that we suffer. People who are in poverty uh, really do suffer. Uh, I've, fortunately, relatively speaking, never experienced poverty, but I've seen the results of poverty and what it can do to people. That's a great way of, a great example of suffering. Confusion of mind is another way that uh, people can suffer. People, uh, I work a lot of, work with a lot of people who are experiencing dementia as they get older, and uh, that is something that is a, brings a real suffering upon them, but also upon those who uh, love them as well. Also, uh, people, we've got a friend, uh, Maria and I have a friend who has schizophrenia. Now, his whole waking moments are spent with hearing voices in his head all day long, uh, and they're not pleasant voices, and that never ceases. It goes all day long until he goes to sleep again that night. Now, can you imagine what sort of suffering that that is? We also have pain. We have loss. We lose things. We lose friendships. We lose innocence. We lose material things which bring us suffering. There's warfare. Warfare, of course, is uh, something that seems to be going on continuously somewhere in the world these days. And uh, people suffer through that. I, I remember I used to be reading the Old Testament. Think about the, uh, the Israelites uh, the, in their lovely, idyllic, uh, agrarian uh, existence, you know, getting up in the morning and going out and looking across your fields and perhaps picking a few uh, ears of uh, corn, whatever it was, uh, and going back and eating, and your life was a sort of a, you know, in sync, as it were, with the, uh, the, the environment around you. How pleasant that would be. But then they never knew one morning from the next that they would wake up and look up and across the hills they would see a great host of Assy the Assyrian army uh, ready to sweep down on them. So even those people lived in fear of uh, those sort of things happening and uh, their life was not really uh, without suffering at all. Uh, there's also things like depression and anxiety. Uh, there's disappointment, disappointment that you, uh, disappointment in yourself, disappointment in others, disappointment that you, things didn't come the way that you expected them to. That's another way of suffering. There's disability. Uh, hunger is another one. I've never really experienced hunger in its real sense either, but we know from uh, what we see around us that there is real hunger in the world, people who are actually uh, becoming ill from hunger. There's rejection. 
uh, great fear, and a lot of us, of course, have a great fear of rejection. I remember um, uh, one of the greatest fears in, in being a man, of course, is when you get to your late teens and you're starting to think about, well, marriage mightn't be such a bad idea. I'll start to see what uh, these women are all about. I don't really understand them, but perhaps if I start to associate with, uh, with girls, I might start to learn what uh, makes women tick. That uh, was a, a futile sort of thought, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> futile hope. But anyway, uh, one of the hardest things as a man is uh, approaching women and f- the fear of being rejected by them. It, over- <laughs> it overwhelms you. And rejection is something that really, really hurts. And of course, another one that is perhaps one of the hardest ones to, 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 uh, to see and, and know that goes on around us is self-destruction. And this happens uh, all the time as well. And probably a good deal of the people just in this room here have had, had very close association with someone who has uh, destroyed themselves, uh, killed themselves. Uh, either you know someone close or a friend or a family member or so on. So that's another way that we uh, suffer. Of course, we could go on and on with a list here. That we could have the instead of having the sermon, we could just go on with a list of how we suffer because it really is such a, uh, a pervasive part of our of our life on on earth. One other word I put on the list is actually love as well. That's another way we suffer. Now that might seem, seem a bit odd, but um, if you look at all the song in popular music, the most, uh, most talked about, the most sung about uh, topic is love. But you know, almost all of it, very, almost none of it is about uh, joyful love, successful love. Just about all of it is about lost love, unrequited love or love that's been uh, uh, turned back on the person and uh, where, it's, where they've been betrayed. So be, betrayal in love as well. They're the most popular themes in, in popular music going back for hundreds of years. Um, and I, I know a bit about popular music for hundreds of <laughs> years. Um, most of my friends, I'll say, oh, well, the other a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, David Bowie who died, and everyone was saying what a genius he was. I, I didn't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you one of his songs. It means nothing to me. Uh, basically, I know between about 1669 and, and 1969. That's my my era that I know about songs. And um, any out of that, I've got no idea. So I believe David Bowie was a singer or something of some sort. But um, I can tell you for a fact that it goes back all the way back to uh, hundreds of years ago when people were uh, singing about lost love, unrequited love, or betrayed love, and on and on it goes. So, okay, this is just a few examples that we've been through, uh, and we can see that also this is not just the things that we experience personally, but also when we see our loved ones around us experiencing these things. That brings suffering to us as well. And also just to know that these things are in the world, that can bring us suffering too. You mightn't be the victim of crime, for instance, uh, or you mightn't have a, a loved one who's the victim of crime, but to, to know that it exists in the world brings you suffering. It brings you a sense of, oh, this is, this is not right. This doesn't, shouldn't exist amongst us. We should be better than this. And that brings us to another sort of suffering too. It's a, 
Uh, it's a generalised suffering of uh, all-pervading type of thing that's sometimes subtle, sometimes overwhelming. It's been come to called in, in recent years by the psychologists existential angst. Right? They've got a great name for it, existential angst. And it's something you can't quite put your finger on, but you know there's something not quite right with the world and, and your, your way in it. And this shouldn't be any sort of um, surprise to us who know God's word. If it does not say that we are sojourners in a foreign land, and we are strangers, strangers upon the face of the earth. And that, that applies to everyone because we're, we're not in a world that was, it was meant to be. Because that's important for us to realise that God is not the author of our suffering. You know, a lot of people have as an argument against belief in God. They would say, well, if there's a, a good and, uh, and loving God, how can there be such suffering in the world? Well, God is not the author of that suffering. So when God created the world and everything in it, including our great-great-grandparents, he declared, and you can read it in Genesis 1.31, he declared that everything was very good, very good. Unfortunately, the word good has been sort of um, diminished. The meaning of it has been diminished uh, in our day and age, but it originally meant perfect. It meant godly, meant like God. Good, come from godly. And in other words, it was perfect. And this perfect world was made for us to live in. But then, of course, we had the rebellion of the two first humans, our great-grandparents. They rebelled against God. They, uh, they went against what he had commanded. And because of that, there are a few things that they had to suffer. Firstly, they were cut off from the, uh, the tree of life. And uh, that meant that they were no longer to be immortal in their, in their earthly bodies. Also, the earth was cursed, so their work become really laboured and hard. And also, they were alienated from God, who's, of course, our Heavenly Father. They were alienated from God. And I think one of the saddest uh, events in history is recorded in Genesis chapter 2, 8 to 12. Um, and it is where it says that the man and the woman hid from God when he come down to walk and talk with them. So the implication is there that he did this daily. He came and walked and talked with the man and the woman. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe in the cool of the evening, it says, came and walked and talked. Can you imagine walking along and talking with God, the person who created this fabulous universe? What an amazing thing. They would probably run to him, I would think, hearing coming. Wow, here, here comes God. Let's go. Can you imagine that sort of thing? They run and uh, want to be eager to be in his, in his presence and hear what he had to say. But now, because they rebelled against him, they hid themselves from him. What a sad event this is. Perhaps the saddest ever in, uh, in history. I know my experience was uh, in my life, I used to love my father coming home from, from work. Uh, it was a, a really great occasion and uh, he'd drive in the side and come around the back door and I'd run out, wherever I was I'd run out to, to meet him and he'd come in and uh, I remember he used to wear a, a grey dust coat because he worked his job was to deliver newspapers to news agencies uh, around Sydney and so he had a grey dust coat to, you know, so he wouldn't get dirty from it 
and he smelt strongly of, um, of newsprint and uh, tobacco. The two things I remember distinctly. When I think of my father, I get the, the odour comes back. But I used to love it. And this, the, these presents really just filled me with great joy. And he always had a, a newspaper that he used to slap on his leg like that. And he'd go, ho, 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 which is um, a little sort of nervous tick that my father had. <laughs> he used to go, ho, ho. He wasn't trying to be Santa Claus. He used to go, ho, ho, ho. And um, every day I'd, I'd look forward to this event. My mother didn't like this too much because she tried to use as a, a disciplinary, disciplinary uh, measure uh, the old old line that mothers have been doing for, for many, many, many uh, thousands of years, uh, what, just wait till your father gets home. Well, <laughs> didn't work too well on me because even if I was in, in for trouble, I still really look forward to him coming home. And I'm just thinking to myself, to imagine the idea that when he'd come home that I would hide myself from him uh, is, is a horrible thing. But here the first humans uh, felt that they needed to do that. And I feel sorry for them. I really do. I feel sorry for them when it says that in God's word, that they hid from God. And of course, I think some of us have had that experience, have we not? When you have uh, sinned, you tend to hide, try and hide from God as well. Has anyone else? I hope, someone, I hope it's not just me that's uh, revealing this about myself. But you hide from God. You might give up praying for a little while. <laughs> you think that well, that'll that'll get me uh, get me through. And by the time I come around to pray again, he would have forgotten about what I did. And so we've got that sort of, that sort of childish way of trying to get away from God. And interestingly enough, I think all of this comes down to one thing. We can see it in in Psalm twenty three. It says, "We walk through the valley of the shadow of death." Now, where are the only creatures on the face of the earth that realise our own mortality? Pretty, it doesn't take too long in, into life. I remember I started to think about it when I was about eight years old or something like that. I think that's probably about normal. And uh, we are the only ones who know that we are walking through this valley of the shadow of death. It's not, actually the, it's not actually the valley of death, by the way. It's the valley of the shadow of death. So it's a death has cast its shadow over the valley that we have to walk through. The valley is, is really life. We have to go through that valley. But it has the shadow of death cast over it, which puts a, puts a pall over everything that we, that's, we're involved with. We always know it's before us. And that death was not meant to be. That death came about, as we're told, because of our sin, because death is the wages of sin. But all this suffering is universal. It affects all human beings. It also unfortunately affects all the dumb creatures of the earth. They're not sinners, but they are affected by, uh, by this uh, suffering that comes from sin. And it also affects also the environment, the inanimate environment as well. It was said in the Bible that the whole creation groans. Whole creation groans. Well, it groans because of this, uh, this suffering that comes from our rebellion and our sin. And a great word it's, uh, to say that suffering is uh, universal, a great word it's used is the English word is ubiquitous, which comes from the, the I think, Latin word ubiquae, which means everywhere. Everywhere. So suffering is everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. A lot of people um, think, you know, that they were just... 
wait till they get to a retirement age and they'll be able to move up to that wonderful uh, little spot up on the, uh, the beach side and they've been, had their eye on for the last 20 years. They've saved for and they can now get out of the big city and away from their jobs and their suffering will go away. Uh, anyone who's involved in, in health care or particularly mental health or uh, uh, police officers and, and so on, those people involved in, in uh, human beings and their everyday work will know that some of the areas of the worst uh, mental health, uh, criminality, uh, drug taking, alcoholism and so on are these areas that people retire away to uh, in the hope that their, their suffering will go the Central Coast of New South Wales, the Gold Coast, um, and so on. There's many others up and down the coast, Coffs Harbour and so on. Uh, these are places where people think they're going to find a release from suffering. But, of course, being human beings who are in rebellion against God, they just take their suffering with them. Well, if we turn to the book of Hebrews, it tells us a little bit about this. We heard it read earlier, and um, it's uh, on page... It's on page 1193. If you've got a, one of those black church Bibles, you can use that. Page 1193. And it's Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And starting in the, uh, <coughs> starting in the, uh, the, first, uh, the first verse of chapter 12. And uh, we read through, of course, to the uh, uh, 14th uh, verse. The book of Hebrews, not quite known who wrote it. It's, I think, one of the only books of the, the New Testament that's, that has any dispute over its authorship, amongst, well, at least amongst conservative um, uh, Bible scholars anyway. Uh, but it's certainly known that it was written in the first century AD and it's addressed to those uh, people who, uh, who are believers, who are following the way of Jesus Christ, but who are Jews by, uh, by background. And... Um, that's known about it, and it addresses suffering because these people at the time were actually suffering for their, for, for their faith. The Jewish Christians, of course, were suffering because by this time they'd started to break away from the idea that they still needed to be observant Jews to be uh, followers of Christ. They still needed to observe the, uh, the laws of uh, the Jewish uh, uh, nation, uh, the Jewish, uh, I mean, the religious laws. And they, uh, because of that, their neighbours, of course, were you know, getting pretty, um, pretty nasty about this and giving them a hard time. Uh, they were eventually, of course, just coming into the, at this time, coming into uh, increasing uh, suffering caused by the repression of the Roman state against believers as well. So they certainly knew their, uh, their, their suffering. They, they had great experience, with, close experience with it. Now, it reads here in verse, first verse, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders um, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Interesting there that uh, he's using the sort of the symbolism of the, the field of athletics, which was very popular in the Roman world. In fact, uh, the Romans took this from the Greeks, uh, but in the expansion of the Roman Empire, they built dozens and dozens of great uh, athletic uh, stadia, 
the Colosseum is the example of the largest one, but there are a lot of smaller ones all over the place, and including in the Middle East, where they would have athletic uh, carnivals. And the idea is the, uh, he's using here the symbolism of the person running the race, running the race. Now, I was uh, pretty much a sprinter when I was a young man. I know it's hard to believe looking at me now, but I used to be able to sprint fairly well. And, um, but occasionally in school, uh, some of you have experienced this, I'm sure, you get roped into doing things that are a little bit outside of your uh, comfort zone. And you would have to do, every now and then, you'd have to go in a long-distance race. Uh, and I remember that after about 400 yards, uh, 400 metres, sorry, 400 metres, uh, that I would just start to uh, lose all heart. Um, even though perhaps my body hadn't given up yet, my mind was starting to give up first. I think, oh, no, it's, we've only gone quarter of the way, you know, and I'm usually finished by this time. Do I really have to go all the, the rest of the way uh, around? And it's a little bit that in, like that in life, and I think that's what this author here is, ta- uh, is using here as an analogy, the idea of being in this race, a bit of, bit of a long-distance race, but you need to throw off all the things that are holding you down and, and making you sluggish and slow and giving you extra uh, need for extra exertion and, and, and sapping your strength. And, of course, uh, what the greatest thing to, to throw off here is suggesting is the sin that entangles us up and makes it harder for us to run the race. And we need to have perseverance to run that race so that we can get to the end. And one way, of course, of getting to uh, the end is to have your eyes fixed upon what the end is. And it can be in a, in a physical race where you're either running or you're swimming and, and uh, you, you, you imagine yourself coming into that, that end and putting your hand up and, and you know, breaking the, uh, uh, the, the finish uh, tape and, uh, and the, the great feeling of uh, uh, exhilaration that that will give you. Also, it might be, for instance, some of you doing, uh, have done long-distance courses, I'm sure. Um, I, I have, too. I've done courses. Uh, all, all the courses I've done have been um, uh, part-time and, and after doing a you know, full day's work, then going and doing a part-time course. And um, I know I had to put my, my sight was always on the end, what I was actually aiming for at the end. And that helped me to go through and persevere. Well, it tells us here in, in Hebrews 12, it tells us, let us... in uh, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy uh, set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we have here, keep our eyes upon Jesus, because he has already gone through this, he's gone ahead of us and went through great suffering and great opposition and by a sinful men, even when he was uh, not a sinner himself, he allowed himself to be taken by sinful men, have his hands bound behind, ha- behind him and was delivered over to an unfair and, and, and uh, 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 judge who uh, allowed him to be taken and executed. He was then executed by sinful men. He allowed this to happen. He went and did it. He went through all that in such a way that he knew what the end would be. He knew that God would honour him and raise him from the dead. He would, through that, allow men to be forgiven their sins and that they will eventually be raised up as well. So Jesus is the 
the person we need to focus on. He is the end glory of the, the struggle that we're going through. You know, there's a lot of um, <coughs> uh, there's a lot of this uh, f- around at the moment of ways to get over this sense of suffering. There's a lot of advice that's given. Um, you can get it on television. There's a Dr. Phil, I think he is. Dr. Phil, yeah. There's a whole lot. There seems to be a lot of doctors around in the world. Um, there's all the American TV shows always got a doctor uh, talking in the front. I don't know what sort of doctors they are, but they, they have plenty of advice to, of how you're able to release yourself from suffering in the world. Uh, women's magazines, I've noticed. Too. If you're uh, waiting in the doctor's surgery, you don't get anything else to read. That's all there is. Uh, uh, and women's magazines are, from cover to cover, it seems to me, are full of advice on how to get release yourself from suffering. And it, it goes down to things like exercise and diet and uh, various mind games you can play, positive, positive, think, positive thinking types of things. Uh, but really, I think the best advice perhaps might be here in God's word. And we're given here in Hebrews three reasons for accepting uh, these experiences that we're having, these, these suffering experiences, as a way of God giving us correction, that are designed to strengthen us and increase our fruitfulness, that we'll be more fruitful in this life. And it says when things are tough, we're instructed to look to three things. Firstly, we should look to God's word. Secondly, we should look to God's care. And thirdly, we should look to God's purpose. And in those three responses, we'll find the answer to the question of why does it all have to be so hard? Or another way of putting it is why, why does it have to happen to me? You know, is the, the way we usually think. Why is this happening? Why is this suffering happening? And it says here in this the beginnings of the passage you'll see along here it says um, uh, have you forgotten your uh, have you forgotten your word uh, have you, sorry have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons right it says here my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. This was actually taken from, as we know, from, from Proverbs. So it was written uh, a long time before the writer of Hebrews came along. Uh, he took it from uh, old, much older writings. So it's been around for a while. In God's word, it tells us here that God has indeed uh, doing, uh, doing these things for allowing these things to happen to us for our own discipline and for our encouragement and for that we'll become more fruitful in this life. So the question there is, have we forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses us as sons? Well, you know, first response for a Christian should be actually to look to the Bible for an explanation of what's happening in their lives and to find words of encouragement and how to deal with it. And I think we often forget that. Uh, and in this case, the, the writer of Hebrews here directs us to the old, old uh, writing there of Proverbs. 
goes on to say, my, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Now, the fellow, that's the original, and the, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews paraphrases it a little and he says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline uh, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. We have to remember that if a father rebukes his son, he's doing so out of love and for the best wishes, for the best, um, for the best outcome for the son. And remember that the, the son has also got a promise of something there. By the way, I make no apology for the fact that the Bible, and myself included here in talking about it, use the word son. It's no affront to the women because we know that women have equal uh, equality within God's uh, kingdom. Uh, and, but it says here, it's not, I make no apology, because it's, um, uh, it's not actually meant to exclude women. It's inclusive of women, but it uses the word son instructively. It does so for a purpose. And that is because certainly at this time, when this was written, but also just in the world today and a great deal of the world, daughters have no guarantee of an inheritance. There's only sons. So we're talking about here sons as being the people in the family who have a guarantee of an inheritance. It's not just the, the men. So women as well, it refers to them when it says sons. It's talking about those who gain an inheritance. So with these verses, it's possible to see uh, two uh, two responses here to God's discipline. We can make light of it uh, or we can feel overwhelmed and discouraged. And that's sort of natural for us. And I'm sure a lot of us have felt that way when we've been disciplined by someone. But there is for the Christian, the believer, another dimension. And that is that we are um, to see our difficulties, our, our uh, things that are, are upon us, the sufferings, we are to see them as a way that we are battling against sin in our lives and a way that we are being corrected by God and made more uh, fit for eternal life with him. We shouldn't take it lightly and we shouldn't resent it or feel overwhelmed but see it as part of God's loving care of us, the way he cares for us. And a good father, of course, disciplines their children because they want the best for their children. And they, they want their children to be able to grow up in such a way that they'll be worthy of taking uh, their inheritance. And that's, that's what God does for us. And we can reach our full potential through this. Christians, we should rejoice that we're in the, uh, God's hands in our lives and because it's a sign that we are his sons and daughters. When we are tested, it's an opportunity for God to make us stronger. The devil's quite happy for us to live in contentment and spiritual ease and have a life that's easy. But, you know, uh, if you stick your neck out a bit as a Christian, if you say what you believe, you are probably likely to get uh, some... Uh, a backlash against you. We're of an odd bunch of people. For a, um, 
a human organisation, the church, is actually a, a very peculiar <laughs> bunch of people. We don't really say, come and join us and uh, you will have a uh, much better life, you will have, um, uh, you'll have luxury and uh, wealth and, uh, and health. Uh, we basically say, come and join us and you're probably likely, if you become a good Christian, you're probably likely to have more suffering. That's objectively what's probably true. And you will, Jesus warns us this, that indeed if we follow him, we're likely to come in against great opposition. I think we can start to see that in the world around us. I grew up in a time when it was expected everyone went to church. It was in the 1950s, 1960s. Uh, if you didn't go to church, you were very odd indeed. Uh, in fact, you were probably even in some cases ostracised for not going to church. People thought you were very, very strange and, um, and uh, not worthy of, uh, yeah, of, of, of company, good company. But uh, today it's sort of the other way around. If you go to church now, you're considered to be very strange. So we've seen in a very short period of time uh, that things turning around against Christians, against believers. Second way God uh, makes a sense, uh, we can make a sense of uh, being in God's hands like this, uh, is to look at how he cares for us. And there is here a, in also in... um, Hebrews again, it says <coughs> the following. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to find the, the verse. Uh, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more will we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? So, in other words, the fact that God is uh, giving us discipline in such a way is a sure proof that he cares for us as well. He's doing this for us, uh, and it's something that we should rejoice in. The emphasis of this whole passage here is that the, in these verses, that particular, in particular, is that God is our Father, an important point to remember, our Father. He is God, the creator of the universe, our judge, but he is also our father. Remember, Jesus himself cried out on the cross, undergoing such suffering that we can't even imagine what it was like. And his words were, Abba, Father. So he called out to God as a father, and likewise we should too. He doesn't discipline us as, say, a, a master would a servant or uh, even a, as a coach would uh, someone on the team. But he tries to mould us as a father does a children. In fact, the word for chastening, uh, the going back to its Greek roots, is the same word that is for that we get words like paediatrics or pedagogy from. That is, the care of children or the the moulding of children gives us the same word as chastening, and um, that's interesting because it's all about moulding uh, people as you would a child. Now, some of us don't like being thought of as children, but it's good to, um, if you're going to put your hands in the, the hands of uh, the Lord, uh, your life, sorry, into the hands of the Lord, then indeed you need to start thinking of yourself more as a child who needs to be moulded by those same uh, hands. One of the greatest expressions of our faith is to hold steady and not waver when things are difficult. 
doesn't mean they're not going to be battered by it and you might shed a few tears, but hopefully you'll come through it because you will look to Jesus. The reason we can be so confident in doing that is that we have a Father who's guiding us. Remember that, a Father. Yeah, an Almighty God, a judge, but he is also our Father, our Heavenly Father, and he loves his child. And he wants to equip us with the skills that are necessary for us to live a high potential life. And he needs to correct us at times too. For we do go off the rails. He needs to correct us. Now the third thing is about God's purpose. So we've had God's... um, uh, We had here God's uh, care. We had uh, God's... uh, (coughs) Uh, discipline. We also have God's uh, uh, purpose for us, and that is, in the Christian life, the whole experience of hardship and difficulty has a potential purpose. So, although everyone is subject to suffering, we need to remember that ours has an ultimate purpose, and that's what makes it diff- very, very different. And it says here in, in verse ten in this uh, in Hebrews. For they discipline us for a short time, talking about earthly fathers, discipline us for a short time as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good, that we may share his holiness. So this is part of our inheritance, you know, that we will become holy. Oh, to be holy, to, to think that, it's, if you just think about it, can I be ever holy? Well, God is going to make us holy. God is, bit by bit, even in this life, is bringing us more to holiness and waiting for that uh, time when we will be made completely holy, like him. It's, it's hard for us to imagine because we're so used to having sin in our lives. But he will make us holy. And this is what the purpose of God's chastisement of us is, that we'll, he will make us more holy. So... Human fathers um, dis, uh, discipline us in all different ways. And this is, by the way, uh, you might have picked up that there's a bit of a challenge here for, for human fathers, isn't there? shows you just how important uh, fatherhood is, what an important role it plays in our world. Uh, it occurred to me then that um, I'm talking here a lot about uh, fatherly love and fatherly care and fatherly discipline. And I've got my father in mind, but because not everyone had a good father. I had a good father, thank God. But not everyone has had a good father. Um, and it might be like uh, the one that's in the uh, uh, Ronald uh, uh, Roald Dahl's, Dahl's uh, novel, uh, which became a movie and is now a play uh, in, in town called Matilda. Uh, and the, sort of the, the mark of his uh, fatherly uh, uh, guidance was this. He says, I'm big, you're small. I'm right, you're wrong. That was the, that was the, uh, the basis of his fatherly skills. Um, so we don't want that. We want to, fathers to try to emulate uh, the Lord in, in fatherly, um, in fatherly uh, guidance of their children. So all of God's discipline is directed towards our good. And we must keep in mind the ultimate outcome of his training. Verse 11 here, it says... No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
If the trials and difficulties we face bring us peace and righteousness, then how can we ever say that we have suffered in vain? We can never say that we haven't suffered, because we, we will. We'll continue to suffer. But we haven't suffered in vain. And that's the important thing to learn from all this. The final benefit can be thought of as the permanent effect that we'll go on to in, into eternity with. Discipline provides the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. Well-trained and strong Christians provide the backbone of a well-trained and strong church, ready to meet the challenge of doing God's work. And, of course, particularly when harder times come, however hard you may have thought that your life had been so far, it's quite possible that harder times will yet come upon us. And we have to be ready for that and we have to be trained to be ready for it. Well, we need to rejoice in the fact that such an intimate interest in us by God uh, is, is present. He has such an int- intimate interest in us. And try and remember that and to accept, therefore, his correction uh, in, in spirit, which is given, that is, with love and for our ultimate benefit. Just um, if you can, if you wanted to look at finally uh, uh, reading from Romans, and it's on page 1118, 1118 in the church Bibles, and it is um, 1118. Romans 8, starting in verse 12. 8, starting in verse... uh, Oh, sorry, verse 14. Verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father, which remember the Lord himself did. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if you want some encouragement ever as you're going through suffering, read again and again and again these lines from the Apostle Paul to the Romans that we are to remember that we have a spirit now of sonship of God and that we will share in the uh, the the blessings of Jesus as as co-heirs with Jesus of all of God's uh, uh, blessings that are yet to come to us and that our present sufferings are nothing, are nothing in comparison. They seem hard and insurmountable at the present but they are nothing at all compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now there's the great hope in all of this suffering that we may come to know this glory ourselves personally, each one of us who believes, anyone here believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will come to know that glory and will know that holiness in themselves in their own life. It's a great thing to think about if you're going through the sufferings of this world because, after all, what we are to win if we persevere with this race 
is far more, far more than we can even hope for or, or, or imagine. Please uh, join me again in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us enough to call us to be your children. That indeed, in a legal sense, we are your sons because we will share in an inheritance that you have for us in the way that you have brought Jesus into your uh, kingdom and put him at your right hand and given him an inheritance. So we will share in that. But also thank you, Lord, though, that as our Father, you are prepared to challenge us and correct us so that we can grow closer to you. Please help us to accept your discipline in our lives and rejoice in the fact that it marks us as your children. And this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.